When you tell me you don't see color, you're denying my uniqueness. Hi, I'm Captain Adam Morton, and this is the Canadian Army Podcast. You know, there's been a lot of discussion going on these days about issues like diversity, gender, culture change in the Army, and we're going to talk about all those things through the lens of our guest, which is Warrant Officer Avril Jnot Baptiste Jones, and she's currently the Chief Clerk at 4 Engineer Sport Regiment in Gagetown. Welcome to the podcast, Warrant. Thank you, sir. I'm very happy to be here. Very, very happy to be doing this podcast. I got to say, uh, just in the, the pre-conversation before we kicked off, I love your energy. So I think it's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess what made you join the Army? The reason I joined the military is I was at a point in my life, young girl, immigrant from the Caribbean, looking for something positive, something I could be part of, a team, contribute. And in the end, elevate myself, you know, with skills, knowledge, and so on and so forth. And a friend in the U.S. military told me, hey, you should try the, the Canadian military. And I considered it because I saw what the military had done for him. So I was in Winnipeg at the time, and I walked by the recruiting center, and I peeked inside to see if there was anyone that looked like me. And I didn't. And I hesitated because, you know, I'm an immigrant, you know, black girl, dark skin, an accent. By virtue of that, you already feel a little bit of an outcast. So I wasn't sure how I would be received. But eventually, you know, I met a girl at the bus stop, a black girl. She's like, I asked her and she says, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and that was my confirmation. I went in. And uh, I signed up, and the rest, like they said, is history. <laughs> just need a little push from a friend at the bus stop, eh? Well, she wasn't a friend. I was just a random girl in uniform, a random black girl. They say a friend is just a stranger you haven't met, right? Yeah. <laughs> so did you find that? Did you find what you were looking for when you went in? Um, initially, it was hard. I, I doubted myself. I, I wondered is this really for me? Why am I doing this? And I stopped and I thought, you know, there's no turning back. You must win. You must go through this. And I had gone through, you know, being an immigrant child, I had gone through a lot of hardships where, you know, everyone had turned their back on me because of my family life situation. And the Canadian forces gave me that family. It gave me something to look forward to. It gave me, you know, it helped me, pushed me to dream big and keep moving. So you walked in the recruiting center, you talked to the person there, and uh, now you're in the military. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today. So initially, I looked into joining the regular force, but I thought I have to take baby steps because I'm not sure if this is really for me. This is someone telling me, hey, this is what I think you should do. I think you you have what it takes to be a soldier. And, and I doubted myself. I didn't think. Because, you know, from watching TV, you see soldiers, female soldiers, and I thought, 
well, I'm not like them. There's no way I'm going to be successful in this. You know, I am a girly, girly, you know, dress wearing, <laughs> high heeled, handbag carrying girl that likes to look pretty. From what I saw, soldiers were tough. Anyways, I got in and uh, I said, I'll join the reserves just to get a feel for what it is that I want to do and if this is really for me. So at the time I lived in Winnipeg, Manitoba, I joined the reserves there. I went through basic training and then uh, I left Winnipeg two years after I joined. I, I was just a class A soldier. And two years after I joined, I came back to Toronto because it was always my desire to come back to Toronto because I moved to Winnipeg under circumstances beyond my control. I had, you know, pretty much nowhere to live. And that's where I had to go. Um, I came back and still in the reserves. I worked at uh, LFCA and it's at LFCA they said to me, hey, you're good at this. Why don't you consider joining the regular force? And I did. So this is two years in uniform. And I did. And they came back and they said, uh, oh, so, yep, you got accepted to the regular force. You have to go back to basic training. And because of what I went through in basic training, I said to them, I said, nope, if I have to go through that treatment again, I want no part of it. What did you go through uh, during basic training? The times that I went through basic training, they talked down to you. They swore at you. They made fun of my complexion, that I was dark. My hair was different. Um, I remember specifically once we went to the gas hut and everyone at the end of it, we decontaminating with full as earth and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And then everyone is brushing their hair out. And well, I have black hair. We have that natural curl to it. You can't brush it out. Yeah. Well, I got in trouble. I had to end up, my whole section is doing push-ups and extra duties because the fullest earth couldn't come out of my hair. So I didn't, I was the only black girl, black person. So because of that, the section was getting extra duties, push-ups, because they're like, well, you don't look like everybody else. What's wrong with this picture? And I'm thinking, but I'm not. <laughs> we have the uniform in common, but I'm not. Look at me. I'm not like everybody else. And someone may look at it and think, well, yeah, you're a soldier. We're supposed to be one. But I'm like, when you tell me you don't see color, you're denying my uniqueness, you know? So anyways, back to my CT application, they came back and I said, nope. And she, she went back to the career manager. Then they said, okay, well, we'll employ you on class B. So this was my very first class B. So like a full-time job of some sort. A full-time job so you can have enough time so when you apply again, you won't have to do basic training because it was a, a time in forces type of thing that gave you the qualification to be a recruit school bypass at the time. Right. So they employed me for a little while and a year later we applied again and they're like, oh, perfect. Congratulations. You'll be a private again, but uh, this time just recruit school bypass. And that was it. And I went through... I was excited. 
I got posted to Kingston, still relatively new to the military. Um, and it was in Kingston, there was this uh, a colonel. Her name was Colonel Karen Ritchie. Somebody had seen me in Kingston and says, contact Colonel Ritchie. And she's sort of affiliated with an organization called DV Mag. And she'd love to hear from you if you want to, you know, I think you have a lot to contribute. And from then I joined DV Mag way back in 1997 because I knew even as a private, I knew I had something to contribute to help the forces integrate or, or bring in new ideas or just throw out new ideas for visible minorities, especially the group that I represent, women, black women. Can you explain to people what DV Mag is and kind of what they do? DV Mag is Defense Visible Minority Advisory Group. It's one of the four designated groups that was put in place to sort of assist the defense team on matters with the designated group. So DV Mag is for visible minorities and black women are part of that group. So in my case, it would be to assist with or, or just put out ideas or be consulted on matters of dealing with racial stuff here and so a wide, wide range of topics or things that are unique to us that we don't fall into the regular mainstream, you know, things for members of the Canadian forces. You referenced that you were part of this organization at a relatively early stage in the military. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that your input and your participation had an impact? <sighs> Honestly, yeah. um, at a very, very, very young in the military, no one listened. I mean, I'm drawing from my own example. I wore my hair natural. I chose to wear a very, very low haircut now. But back then, I, I chose to wear my hair natural. Natural hair is bulky hair. The dress regulation stated, you know, one thing. But as black women with natural hair, we could not meet those standards. Right. So I brought that to, you know, the chain of command's attention. But nobody really understood what that meant. I remember, I think I was in Borden and... There was lotion, something to do with a lotion, and it left a sort of an oily mark on a wall or something. Okay. And they're like, what are you doing? What does that, what is that? And I was like, well, as black people, our hair, we have to put oils in our hair in order to maintain it. And as same as our skin, we have to moisturize probably a little bit more than you. You know, yeah. and you bring that to people's attention and I was called drama. I was called, oh, my goodness. I was say, oh, this is not the Oprah Winfrey show. What is this? You know, when you try to explain things to them. So did I make an impact? I, I think within the DVMAG community, yes, I was highly regarded. But in the CF at large, I think I educated my little circle. Right. And as far as that getting out, different things, just education and all that, I was silenced a lot. Right. Because people feel what they don't know, right? Yeah, of course. So when you're trying to bring 
something, you know, simple to somebody's attention, it's sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah, so. absolutely. Especially when you're a junior rank on top of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So looking back on that person that you were then, how do you feel about those circumstances? Like, how do you feel about what you tried to do and how, in some cases, it was maybe less well-received than in others? I think now, as we are now, we have come a long way. There's still improvements, but we have gone leaps and bounds as far as these matters are concerned, because I look at, we started with cornrows, say for, for black women, we started cornrows and DV Mag was consulted and they're like, yeah, black women can have cornrows. But what a lot of people don't know is for a lot of us, cornrows is a child's hairstyle, like pigtails. It's, right. it's a child's hairstyle. So a lot of us, you know, if we look at it like, oh, they have something in place. But for some of us that chooses not to do that, we don't have many options. So we have come a long way. I think the dress regulations is under review. So I think there's a lot of changes coming, which is going to be good changes as far as including us. And as a senior NCO now, do you feel like uh, your voice is maybe a little bit better heard? Absolutely. Definitely, yes. Yes, yes. Because I think the world is changing, Canada is changing, and the Canadian Armed Forces is changing. It's changing for the better. So yes, I, I believe I am. Let me ask you this. Uh, at the beginning, you kind of talked about how when you went into the recruiting center, you didn't see anybody like you. Mm -hmm. And we touched a little bit about your experience with DV Mag and all of this stuff. For people who are listening, why is it important that people see people like them in these roles? Why does it matter? I think it's important for people to see people like them, be it race, gender, and all that, in an organization so they can identify. It's all about identification. It's someone I can identify with. And with that, we can grow as an organization if everyone, I think, in, in my opinion, if we all had someone we can identify with, because it's not all going to be a bed of roses all the time. But say, say I got into something, uh, an issue that was difficult to deal with as a black person, a black woman, there was somebody I could go to and say, hey, this happened, what do you think? You know, I mean, somebody can hear you, but if they cannot identify, sometimes it's problematic. And I'll give you the example. I use the example of, I go back to it because it's my passion, hair. <laughs> I could have gone to every sergeant, chief, MWO, and say, this is the problem with my hair. And they could say, yep, yep, yep. If they cannot identify, they will never really understand, you know, what the problem really is. If it's not somebody like you, you'll never understand that when my hair gets water in it, it turns into a big afro. You have to know that to experience it, to be like, okay, 
if I want to achieve? And I told him, you know, this is a problem. He's like, yeah, yeah, my, my wife has the same problem. I get it. I understand. So you can speak to somebody on your behalf, kind of like smooth things out. So at the beginning, we're talking about, you know, how as a private, sometimes your voice doesn't get heard as much and how, especially as a warrant, uh, it's much easier to be heard and, and affect change. How did junior soldiers get their voices heard? I believe everyone has the ability to affect change. And even as privates, what we need to do as senior members of the Canadian Armed Forces, we need to listen. They have a voice and they may have great ideas. It's us. We need to remove their rank out of it and listen to the individual. And once you listen to the individual, I think you will get more information because I think people automatically see private. Ah, this person doesn't know too much. But privates coming in now are way more educated, have way more life experience. So they too can be contributors. So it's up to us as the seniors to listen you know, take our positions of power and influence out of the way and let's do it as people first. And we'll be on a good road if we take that approach. And with, I guess, your experience up to this point, how do we create an environment where people can express themselves and feel comfortable doing so? Re-education. I believe the way we're structured, a lot of times we think power and position equal respect. Yes, we have to have respect. However, we have to change the way we do business. We have to change the way we we give instruction. We have to change the way we we look at people. And that will allow everyone to be open to us. I went through a situation once where I had no confidence in the chain of command. And something really terrible had happened to me. And I did not go to them because of how they are. This is my corporal self. Right. You know, and, and as a warrant, looking back, I can say, wow. A lot of people use the term, oh, I have an open door policy. No, they don't. A lot of people, they, that's just something they say. Because when it comes down to... To being people, they don't know how to be human beings because the rank always takes play in, I am a rank before I'm an individual. And once we stop thinking like that, we will create a safe place, an open forum for the junior ranks to speak to us and be honest and open in how they feel, what they're going through and, and, and so on and so forth. You know, we talked about how things have come a long way. What can we do better moving forward from where we are now? I would love to see someone of color high up there in the chain of command, in the powers that be, the people that are actually making the changes. I look around. I, I still look around. Even as a warrant, I still look to see who's there. Who's going to be advocates? Who's going to press on for us? 
So you look up and you're like, well, who's going to stand strong and be there for us? And I haven't seen that yet. But then again, you have to come from the bottom to make it to the top. So hopefully, you know, we'll have uh, someone out there. So let me ask you this. Different people experience different levels of challenge throughout their careers, and they make decisions based on that. Like uh, for myself, you know, I left the regular force. I joined the reserves for various reasons. Why do you stay in the Army? I stay in the Army because oh, the Canadian Armed Forces is one of the most amazing institutions out there that provide skills, knowledge, experience, adventures. I believe it's the only organization that does not check you out before they check you in. And what I mean by that is if you're the average person, an average person on the street, and you feel you have what it takes to join the military and you go to the recruiting center, you will not be refused. Now, look at the other side of the coin, civilian life. You have your degree and you are the most qualified person for a job. And you go, you apply, you go to the interview. You may dis be disqualified because they don't like your look. Something as simple as that. You may be disqualified because your look is a certain way. You may have, I don't know say dreadlocks or say a pixie cut or whatever the case may be. But in the forces, it's not like that. If you think you have what it takes to be a soldier, you'll be accepted. And I go in the community, in the Caribbean community all the time. And I've been invited to different forums, young boys and girls. The parents approach me and be like, oh, wow, I want my son, I want my daughter to, to join this. Maybe you can talk to them. And they, I would talk to these kids and they would say to me, oh, well, well, do I have to cut my hair? I said, no, you don't. And, and you go through a lot. Oh, do I have to wake up at five o'clock every morning and go under the barbed wire and all this? I'm like, no, no, that's just... You may do stuff in basic training, but after there's your trades qualification and then you go in and so forth. And the reason I stay in is because I want to continue to put that message out there. I want to continue to be an ambassador for the Canadian Forces because I, I know what it's done for me. And I know there's a lot of young girls and boys and people, period, out there, no matter what age, young and old that I think is looking for an opportunity. They have the drive, they have the, the knowledge, they have what it takes to be soldiers. You know, sometimes you just need a little push, a little, little push, and then they, they take it from there. So that's why I stay. I want to continue to be an ambassador. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your experiences in the forces up to this point and everything that you've gone through and also for sharing your hopeful and positive messages about uh, what's going to happen next. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure. And I do plan on continuing advocating for the forces because it's a, it's a great organization. It's, you know, we're not getting the best of press these days, but 
it is an excellent organization that I think that's so rewarding that anyone that becomes part of this at the end of the day will sit back and say, yes, those were my best years. And, and I'm speaking on that. I am enjoying my best years. You know what? I, I feel the same way, and I think we, we probably wouldn't be here if we didn't. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again so much. That was Warrant Officer Avril Jnobetsis Jones, and she's shared her story with us. If you like that and you have a story that you think is worth sharing, send us an email. It's available in the show notes, and we'll be happy to take a look at it and see if we can't get you on the podcast. I'm Captain Adam Morton for the Canadian Army Podcast. Horton out.